Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. I am Pat Iyer, and today our guest is Terea Rodriguez, who has her doctorate in healthcare administration. She is a certified ostomy and continence nurse. She is also a WCN, a wound cost, wound continence nurse. Is that what we're looking at? Today? Yeah. Right. And she is the owner of Terea Rodriguez Consulting Services located in New York City. She provides hands-on wound care and expert witness services related to the prevention of wounds and the correct management of them. And this is part two of a podcast that we released earlier in which we focused on some of the other factors associated with becoming certified as a nurse to work in the field and some of the issues surrounding treatment. Welcome to the show, Terea. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be back. This will be great. We talked in our first session about how wounds can develop in all areas, all parts of nursing, acute care, long-term care, home care, uh, acute care, long-term hospitals, the LTACs, um, a variety of settings. So this is certainly something that comes into the realm of legal nurse consultants when attorneys ask them to screen cases for merit or to look at the treatment that was performed to see if the appropriate treatment was put in place to prevent the progression of a wound. We also talked in your first session about some of the factors related to chemical debridement versus mechanical debridement. And in this session, we're going to focus a little bit about um, some of the issues surrounding the complications of wounds and perhaps some of the breakdown, not only in skin, but in our healthcare system as a whole, which enables wounds to develop and then not be effectively treated. So I'm going to back up and ask you a little bit about the complication that many people dread is the development of osteomyelitis. Can you talk about for our listeners a little bit about how having an open wound increases the risk of developing osteomyelitis? Okay. So I'll start, we'll start with just describing wounds. If it's a short-term wound, it's called an acute wound. But the longer that it stays open, like after six months, it becomes chronic. And then what happens is, is that when a wound stays open for quite some time, you have run the risk of the bone getting infected. And that's what, exactly what osteomyelitis means. It means that the bone has gotten infected from a bacterium that's seeding into it. It can come from surrounding tissues, um, you know, or from trauma or from surgery. 
And so usually staph aureus is the com is common in pressure injuries and they can lead to the infection of the bone. And so from there, you commonly see it in wheelchair patients or bedbound patients. So when you go into a nursing home, there's quite a few bedbound patients. And it's not uncommon to see osteomyelitis in a patient's knee or if you're on a um, spinal cord injury floor, it's not uncommon to see um, this osteomyelitis in the wound. And so with that being said, there's um, certain things that predispose, you know, the patient to osteomyelitis. And that's like pressure injuries that haven't been healed. You have, you've got this in the sacrum, the buttocks, the hips, and even on the heels. And so if left untreated, the risk for osteomyelitis increases. And you can have colonization on the skin floor that is possible and it's in the GI tracts, you know, but at the end of the day, it occurs from, you know, these predisposed conditions and then it leads into the osteomyelitis. And when we talk about the locations of osteomyelitis, I know that we would normally think of the sacrum first. Can mm -hmm. you develop osteo from wounds in other parts of your body? It can't, if, as long as it's going down, when it goes down to the bone, yes, but there are other parts of the body it can develop. So when it comes to um, dealing with a patient that has questionable osteo, the first question to ask yourself when you see a wound is, how long has the wound been open? So if someone tells me that the wound has been open for more than four weeks and we're going into that um, chronic phase, or they say, okay, hey, it's been two months now, it's still open, I would question it and then ask, you know, did you do a test for osteomyelitis? And it doesn't matter, you know, if it's, um, if it was like two weeks, uh, but the, lo the longer that it's been open, the more that I would question it. Mm -hmm. So, and that's one of the biggest things. It's like finding out how long has the wound been open? And that's a simple question. You just ask the patient or you ask the caregiver or the family member, or you look in the chart and the chart will tell you because there are some wounds that open and then they close and then they reopen again. And you can tell if a wound, it's easy to tell if a wound has um, been open and closed and reopened again, especially for pressure injuries, because the discoloration, you'll see the epithelial tissue, which is like this light pink hue that's a clear indicator that this patient has had, you know, some kind of a pressure injury or a deep wound from previous because it doesn't heal like the rest of the, it doesn't look like the rest of the surrounding skin. You'll see the epithelialization and then you'll say to yourself, oh, ding, 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 this patient has had a pressure injury in the past. And even for people um, who are dark skin, that's a big key indicator and they get, um, a lot of people miss the buck when it comes to dark skin patients because, you know, looking at the skin, but a clear indicator that this patient has been open before is that the skin is a pink hue and not that regular melanin that you would see on the surrounding skin. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've seen scar tissue in sites where pressure sores have been. Right. And so with the when you're doing the testing, the next step is we have to test it, right? Mm -hmm. So 
when you want to do testing, the gold standard is to take a biopsy. So you can talk, even as a nurse, you can talk to whoever the surgeon is or the, the attending and talk to the WLCN and say, this patient has had their wound open, let's say, for, I'm going to just come up with a number, three months. And um, they're saying that the wound is not healing despite the treatment. Is there a possibility that they may have osteomyelitis? Can someone do the testing for it? And then, I mean, and then the physician can do the testing because a wound is not going to heal if the osteo is not treated. The other is to take an MRI because the MRI looks at the soft tissue and it's another indicator, but the gold standard is the biopsy. So you could do the biopsy, do the MRI, and then it will tell you whether or not if the patient has osteo, then you treat the osteo, then you, it will help you with the a healing process and doing your treatment plan. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've got the osteos developing. We know that Staph aureus is a common organism. I'm assuming then based on that biopsy that another element of the liability in analyzing these cases is making sure that the appropriate antibiotic has been ordered based on the organism that comes up in the culture. Absolutely. So when a patient comes in, if they present with an infection and an unknown source, they give a broad spectrum, most likely. But then once you can identify the source, then the, the goal is to get the right treatment to treat whatever it is the organism is that's you know causing this infection. And then on top of doing your wound care. So the wound care, the team, you know, with the surgeons, the residents, everyone who's involved all come into play into this discussion. So at if someone is a bedside nurse, just as a bedside nurse, they can have the discussion with the, with the team. And if there's no team created, she can create the team by, by first talking to, you know, if the wound care nurse, if they have somebody on staff, because not all hospitals have a wound care nurse. If you don't have a wound care nurse, then you go to the next person, which is the resident and the attending, and have that discussion with the resident and attending. And then you talk about what you see. You may not know what it is, but you can all you can describe what you see, because a lot of nurses don't know how to stage, and it's okay. But your eyes can tell you what you see. Mm -hmm. and your nose can tell you what you smell so you can describe this is what I see this is what I smell based on my conversation with the patient they said that they've had this wound for however long also I see in the surrounding area this light pink which may be an indicator that they've had pressure injuries in the past that mm -hmm. have healed over mm-hmm and then they can go for, you know, whatever steps for their process improvement, you know, to help with the patient care. Yes, all those observations count, don't they? They do. <laughs> Even touch, you know, you're touching the skin. Is it hot? Is it cool? You know, something with the back of your hand, not the tip three fingers, but you use the back of your hand. All So if I'm in a country that... Um, doesn't have all the bells and the whistles that's a it's a good way to observe your patient and look at the wound and say ah oh, you know something's wrong you know use my the basics my eyes my nose 
you know, how it feels, is it warm to touch, and asking the patient, how long mm-hmm. have you you know, this wound open, and what do you do in your every day? Do you sit every day? How many hours are you up? Do you move? If they're nonverbal, of course, you know, if they're bed bound, you know, that asking the caregiver, how often do you turn the patient? So all those things do come into play. And that's, you don't need bells and whistles for that. No, you don't. Um, sometimes you need something as simple, I'm speaking for myself, as an Apple Watch that sends you a little message and says it's time to stand. Exactly. Too long. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, watch, please. I will get up and move around for a little while. Right, because you get so entrenched into whatever you're doing. So mm-hmm. me too. I have my my bell that goes off and says time to, you know, get up and move. Yes. Well, I know that for some of our listeners, Terea, who've been in nursing for a long time, we have seen a whole series of treatments come out, uh, myths about appropriate treatment for pressure, wounds being debunked, uh, things that we had in the past that are no longer effective or maybe never were effective, but we started using them anyway. Tell us about the ability to focus in on first recognizing that a provider has ordered the appropriate treatment. And then as we are analyzing cases, looking at the information that the manufacturer has put out about how their product is supposed to be used. Because a lot of what we do as a legal nurse consultant in screening cases or evaluating care is did they treat it appropriately? And that raises a lot of big question marks sometimes. Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. How do you prepare your body for a presentation? You look at your audience, a conference room full of attorneys and your mouth goes dry. How can you speak comfortably in a way that projects confidence if your mouth is dry and the butterflies are rolling in your stomach? I'm Pat Iyer, the author of a book that specifically helps you master presentations to attorneys. The book is Powerful LNC Presentations, How to Get the Case. I've been invited to give presentations to attorneys, LNCs, and paralegals. When you know you're going to be making a presentation, avoid eating a breakfast that includes milk, yogurt, or any other form of dairy. These foods thicken saliva and can also cause sinus congestion. Add these factors to being nervous and dry mouthed and you have a scenario for great discomfort. A dry mouth affects your ability to speak. Some people smack their lips to moisten them. When you're speaking into a microphone, the effects can be disastrous. Do I have to explain why breakfast at Taco Bell is not a good idea? The same goes for dinner the night before. Also watch alcohol consumption the night before you need to give a talk. Hangovers can create disastrous results. Hydrate a day or two ahead of time and keep a bottle or a cup of water or herbal tea by your side. Some people find that a little lemon flavor in the drink makes it more desirable. Watch how much fluids you drink on the day of the presentation and time your water consumption with bathroom breaks. 
Carbonated beverages have a dehydrating effect. Also, carbonation causes bloating and discomfort. In summary, avoid dairy, highly spiced food, alcohol, and carbonated beverages and stay well hydrated, but not overly so. Powerful LNC Presentations, How to Get the Case is full of practical recommendations for presenting. Get your copy of my book today at lnc.tips forward slash creating series. Now let's return to the show. Okay, so I'll start with the first part. It's kind of a loaded question. So the first part is, is that um, wound care, osteo care, continence care, it's not rocket science. Every day is a different day, especially for wound care um, and, and osteo care, because what I see today, the treatment may work just for that moment, may not work two days later or three days later. So to, to just put it um, in layman's term, if you're using a, if you're going and you're looking at the wound, you're treating for what's in front of you at that moment. And the, you know what your end goal is. So if I see a pressure injury, for instance, and it has, it's about four centimeters in depth, it's about five centimeters wide, and it's, let's say, three centimeters, you know, um, in length, okay? And so, which means it has a lot of depth into it. So, it, and then it has slough, it has odor, and um, it has a lot of exudate. Well, it's a lot, right? That's a lot to, to treat. So your treatment plan, you have to say, okay, which one do I deal with first to get to my end goal, which is healthy tissue and to get it to close. And so that's the process, it's like, which do I treat first? And then what do I have to do in the in-between? So of course, you're going to find out does it have an infection or, or what have you. But at the same time, you need to control the exudate because you want a moist wound for healing, but you don't want a wet wound because it actually will increase your necrotic tissue. At the end of the day, you end up seeing like slough. Slough is the yellow tissue. Sometimes it's a little brown, but it's from excess moisture. And so it's, a, it's like a balancing act. I want moisture, but I don't want too much moisture. Now I have depth. Well, how deep does it go? Does it have a track or what have you? I don't know because until you start doing the assessment there. The second thing is, is that, okay, now I've figured out my treatment plan, whatever it is. Then I come back two days later, it looks different. But doing that follow-up to see what's going on is essential, especially if it's like a wound that has a lot going on, you want to come back and do the follow-up and make sure that the treatment plan that you wrote, let's say on a Monday, is still working by the end of the week. And so by just coming back, I'm just coming up with it, you know, like coming back at the end of the week, if I say, I'm gonna change it on Friday. Okay, let me go back and just see if the treatment plan actually worked. And so, you know, having that follow-up in between, yes, the nurses, the bedside nurse can do the dressing change, but going back and seeing, because you are the wound care nurse at the end of the day, so you want to go back and see what's going on. So these are some of the things to look for, like as far as legal nurses, did the, did the wound care nurse go back and do a follow-up or did she just come up with a treatment plan? 
the only way that a wound care nurse probably won't go back for a follow-up is if a physician comes in and it, they take over and then in the chart it says that um old surgery is taking over and they'll be in charge of the wound and that happens like the surgeon will say well you know what we're going to take it over. We're going to do the dressing change. And that's fine. But at least document it and say surgery has taken over. Or if if you don't if you don't document it as the wound care nurse, best better believe that somebody should have documented it, that surgery is taking over because it can come up and you'll see it in, in the chart that they're going to say, well, why didn't you do a follow-up? Oh, because surgery took over. You can look at XY note and it shows you that surgery took over, you know, and that's why I'm not, because wound care nurse is a consultant, they're not lay workers. And then unless the policy says that the, that the wound care nurse is a lay worker, but normally we're just consultants. We come in, we observe, we give our advice, and then um, we may do the first dressing change, you teach it to the staff, and then you move on. And then the staff will call you back for a consult. And then you go from there. And then you can, and you'll put on your chart, okay, this is a um, really in-depth wound. I need to go back and just do the follow-up for this particular wound because, you know, X, Y, and Z. So now that's the treatment. So when it comes to product choices, the other thing is, is there's a ton of products on the market. And not every wound care nurse uses every single product. But there are some products that are a little bit more archaic than others, like sil Silvadine is an archaic product. That's way back. We've advanced since Silvadine. There's so many other products out there besides Silvadine. So, you know, if you've seen Silvadine, 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 it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess it kind of stuck in the past. But does it work? Yes. But, you know, there are better products out there. Um, the thing is, is that collagenase, which is a enzymatic debreeder, and this is a really good one about reading the package insert. And I see it time and time again. I've seen it, you know, just doing chart reviews or with um, people that I've, you know, worked with in the past. And so, so collagenase is an enzymatic debreeder. It's a slow debreeder. It's a cream. And the thing is, is that it's adversely affected by metal ions. So if you see that somebody puts, let's say they're trying to get remove the slough, and this is prime example, and they'll put the collagenase, but then you put a hydrofiber over it, which is like um, Aquacel AG or um, calcium alginate. The question is, why would you put a hydrofiber, which is an absorbent product, with a product that requires moisture to work because collagenase requires moisture to work. So you're, you're not gonna put something that's drying over something that's supposed to work with moisture, right? And then on top of that, if the product has silver in it, remember earlier I just said that it's adversely affected by metal ions, this is silver. So there's a lot of dressings that have silver in it. So you have silver alginate, you have um, Aquacel AG, AG means silver. And a lot of people, they're like, oh, what does that mean? AG means silver. It's just the, um, the chemical, you know, abbreviation for silver. But what happens is, is that the silver cancels out the collagenase. Mm -hmm. And now the collagenase is ineffective. Mm -hmm. And it says it in the package insert. 
So this is in reference to your question, how important it is to know how to use the product and know when and when not to use the product to make it effective. So if I'm using collagenase, I'm not going to use anything with silver. So if I if I if I see that collagenase has silver, you know, a silver product with it, then I already know that the collagenase is ineffective. It's not going to do the job. And so when they question, well, why didn't the wound heal? Uh, well, maybe because the product that was placed with it, it made it ineffective. And this is why, you know, it might do it like an autolytic debridement, but not not really in a sense. It's not doing the job that it was designed to do, which is to debride the slough. Collagenous is great if you use it in the right manner. I love it like for hospice patients because it's not painful. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, it's like um, hydrogen peroxide, that's really caustic to the skin. Um, Daking solution is it starting to become a little dated because we can use BASH, which is a hypochloric, you know, solution that does similar to Daking's, but it's not as, you know, caustic as, as Daking's is. And it's a natural part of the body. So, um, yes. So, and, and just, it's just really important that if you have a product and, what you think may not be what it really is. So it's just good to just make sure like, okay, when I'm using this product, let me look at, you know, certain things um, and just make sure that I can use this product for the way that I, I intend to use it. And the thing is, is that if it's really just wet, you can put a foam dressing. So you can put collagenase and put a foam dressing because, you know, it's just so wet, so much moisture. But, uh, uh, there's other products out there that can be used on a wet wound. So there's one and it has um, iodine in it. We use it for debridement. And this is another one that you have to ask the patient, are you allergic to shellfish and iodine? Mm -hmm. You can't just use the product on any patient. And so if they have an allergy to iodine, you can't use it on them. Because the product is made with iodine and it's made to debris for really wet, exudating, funky wounds. It's an amazing product, but at the same time, it has iodine. So, you that, yeah. So, you know, it's like those little details make the difference. So if I'm a, if I'm a legal nurse consultant and I'm looking in a chart and I'm looking at the treatment plan, then the first thing that I look at is to say, okay, what product did they use? And let's say I have no clue about wound care products. I the best thing to do is just go go to the manufacturer's website and look at the contraindications and directions for use. Mm -hmm. And then it'll, it'll tell you right then and there how the product is actually supposed to be used. But don't assume that it's being used the right way because it you know you never know. Some people do it off label. They do it because why? Because they're trying to get this thing to heal. It worked in the past and it may be used um, off label, you know, the second time around. So it's just good to just look it up, look at the package insert, see what's done. And even as a nurse, if I was a bedside nurse, I would take the time out and say, okay, what am I putting on? And it's just, you know, I would second get, especially if it's something I haven't used before. I go and I look it up first. And that's the first thing that I learned coming out of nursing school. If you haven't used it, you look it up. Even if it takes you time, just look it up, 
get on, you know, the internet and find out what you're, you know, actually putting on a patient. And if it doesn't seem right, say something. Don't just do it. Say, hey, by the way, you know, I read X, Y, and Z. Are you sure this is how you want to do it? There's nothing wrong with that. Because you your, your goal is to protect your patient and, you know, and your license and the license of somebody else as well. Because, you know, people, it should be a checks and balance anyway, right? So. <laughs> yes, indeed. And that's yeah. one of the values of, of having research skills as a legal nurse consultant is the ability to go and dig in for those details and then match them up with what the medical record documentation states is been ordered and what's being done to the patient and is it making a difference and in causing an improvement in the skin yes and the and the other thing is is to just look at if someone gives a if i give a treatment plan on the first in 14 days if that treatment is not working even probably a little bit less than that i'm just saying it's time to review the treatment plan and say this is not working it's time for a change but if you have a treatment plan that you did on the first and then by the first of next month, it's still not working, then that means that, you know, you're using something that's not working and, you know, that's not the way wound care works. So you look, you see if it works after, you know, after a week or so, if it's not working, then we change the treatment plan. We come back and say, okay, but you don't just keep going on and on mm -hmm. with the treatment plan. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that. So like doing that deep dive, okay, what day did they start the treatment plan? Did anything change? If it didn't change, who came back to do the reassessment to say, let's try something else? Yes. I have one more question for you, Terea. Sure. I know that our listener will have an occasion in the future to think now, how do I get in touch with that nurse who talked about wound care and osteo and treatments, what would be the best way for that connection to take place? Um, the best connection is on my LinkedIn. I'm very um, active on my LinkedIn. And so it's my first name, which is Terea, T-H-U-R-E-I-Y-Y-A, Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. And that I'll be the only one there. <laughs> <laughs> So, trust me, no one else is going to be there but me. And you can find me on my LinkedIn. That's the best way to get in touch with me. If um, And then they can also at my Gmail, which is my first and my last name, Terea Rodriguez at gmail.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Your wealth of knowledge always amazes me as I get a chance to talk with you on our first podcast and in other conversations. So I appreciate the knowledge that you have brought to us today and thank you for your time. Thank you. And I also want to thank you who's been listening for investing half an hour of your time, getting to know a little bit more about wound care. We offer our podcast once a week. This is now our eighth year. And we've got listeners in 105 countries. Most of them are Americans, followed by Japan, England, Canada, Germany, and Australia. We welcome all of our listeners around the world and encourage you to take advantage of the international resources that are available 
for evaluating the standard of care, specifically for wound care, since that was our topic today. You can also get Legal Nurse Podcasts not only on the audio channels that are available, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so on. We have the video version of this podcast available on Legal Nurse Business, our YouTube channel, and you can catch up on podcasts wherever you are by downloading our app called Expert Edu and follow the instructions for getting access to the LNC content. There's also content about improving your writing skills on that app as well. We publish the podcasts as well as a lot of other material on Expert Edu. That's E X P E R T. E-D-U, the name of my app, and I welcome you to become our one of our growing group of people who are listening to the podcast on Expert Edu. And finally, you have an opportunity to connect with me through my Facebook group, which is LNC Business Growth Circle. You can ask to join that. We've got discussions going on, a place where you can get to know other legal nurse consultants, ask your questions find experts, and stay up to date with what's going on in Legal Nurse Consulting. LNC Business Growth Circle is the name of the group. And I will see you next week. Stay tuned for a little bit longer when you have an opportunity to meet the next guest on Legal Nurse Podcast. Coming up next, you're going to have an opportunity to hear some insights about a factor that has a big influence on nursing liability, and that is the nursing shortage. Henry June is our podcast guest who will share his knowledge and his firsthand experiences with you. Henry is a medical surgical and trauma nurse who works clinically and is an expert witness in the area of med surge and trauma. Henry, tell our viewer what were some of the topics that we covered in your podcast? Uh, we talked about the nursing shortage, how that how we can alleviate the issues um, with the nurses, what happened to the experienced, inexperienced nurses, and how they are handling their nursing shortage. We also are discussing about how uh, we as a legal nurse consulting profession can ask questions to a nurse to find out how they uh, how their shift went and what the acuity and the patient workload that they had during their assignment. We covered a lot, Henry, and <laughs> I know that our viewer is going to find this to be an interesting podcast and might even be affected by this topic personally. So be sure that you tune in when Henry June has his podcast on the nursing shortage, and we'll be seeing you during that show. Thanks so much. Thank you. practice insurance, leaving the nurse practitioner sometimes with a somewhat of a target on their back. 
We also are going to touch upon some situations that were not so pretty, some fraudulent things that impacted nursing programs and can impact our profession as well. So we look forward to this and many other topics as well. Be sure to come back to Legal Nurse Podcast to hear Dr. Arlene Wright share her concepts, share her knowledge on that list of topics that she just so nicely recited without notes, and you'll get inspired and educated on this role. See you at the next Legal Nurse Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.